Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship Weekly Podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from Lead Pastor Jamie Miller. Let's read today. We're finishing our Advent series. If you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verses 1-7, through and please stand for the reading of the Word of God. When I finish these seven verses, I will say, this is the Word of God, and you say, thanks be to God, okay? Alright, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the Gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him. And for his name's sake, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have a seat. All right. Well, we're talking about story today because, you know, you can get little snippets of story, especially at Christmas time, you know, and a snippet's better than nothing. But, but there's more to the story than just the manger scene. There's more to the story than just these little bits and pieces, shepherds, wise men, you know, and it's that bigger story that I want to put the Christmas story into the context of today. I want to tell the bigger story. We need to be telling the bigger story over and over and over. It's in telling that the narration kind of gets to be a part of our own life, our own story, our own journey. And we start, it takes time, but we start orienting our lives to this big sweeping story of God. Creation to new creation. And I'm not just living my own little individualistic, uh, uh, I'm going blank on the word, where it's just you, you by yourself, the, uh, the, the French uh, Camus, and help me somebody, i got to say the word now. Uh, existential. You like you got your own. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate your help. Uh, existential kind of existence, you know. But we're connected to a family of people around the nations that are all in Christ together. And like we talked about last week, the the plot does thicken in our lives from time to time, right? There's times of waiting. There's hard stuff we go through. We have to cling to Jesus and to hope in Him. And uh, this week, I want to talk about living life connected to the Christmas story and really the bigger story even, because if we don't connect to this big story, we end up taking bits and pieces of the Bible and just kind of taking little verses here and there and parts that we like and then applying them to our We've, we've got a story going in our minds, and we're applying them to our story. And I'm saying we want to orient our story, which is a real, we all have a story. And there's an American story, and there's different parts of life that we connect to, but we want to put that in the framework of God's story. Does that make sense? So if we don't do that, then we can pull bits and pieces of this thing and kind of make it, kind of apply it and misapply it, actually. You know, I mean, people used the Bible to 
to uh, validate slavery. That's a, that's a, that if you follow the story, that misses the whole point. Or to validate apartheid, or separation, or oppression of certain peoples, or sexes, oppression of women. All of these different kinds of things are misreadings and misunderstandings and can maybe be pulled out in some way, but they don't fit with this overarching story. And so, uh, a great example. One, one I was, uh, what's a good example I could just, and one is God's power for today. Okay, so here's an example God's power for today. You know, like, we are children of the Enlightenment. We are. We have a Western philosophy in the United States of America, Europe, a Western philosophy, children of the Enlightenment, basically that's expressed in scientific rationalism as a worldview. Scientific rationalism. Basically the idea that if I can't touch it, taste it, feel it, you know, experience it physically or prove it with science, then it doesn't exist. And that's a very different idea that you get from following the narrative of Scripture. Like people aren't saying Jesus doesn't have that worldview. And you follow Jesus, and we're saying Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is what true humanity is supposed to look like in constant dependence upon God, in expressing the Father's will on the earth. You know, and so Jesus heals somebody. And people don't say, oh, that didn't really happen. That was a psychosomatic illness. That was just, they were kind of fake, and something happened in their childhood and being expressed kind of in some weird way as an adult. It, they don't say that. People say that now, but they didn't say that then. He casts a demon out of somebody. They're saying, no, that wasn't really, you know, that was, you know, again, this trauma that happened. Long. It, it's not like that. Everybody see what I'm saying? The, Jesus doesn't have that worldview. He has a worldview where God literally moves in the midst of us. And, there's, and healing is a reality. His kingdom coming with power. Heaven being expressed on the earth. Things, wrong things being made right. Illnesses being made whole. Broken lives being brought together. All of those different things are reality in the, in the Jesus story, in the kingdom story, in the biblical story, in the biblical narrative. I was just thinking about this point on Thursday God's power for today, and I, I needed to step into a conference call. It's the, the U.S. Senior Pastors for Antioch, our movement that we're part of, and and uh, get on the call. And Jimmy said, uh, the lead pastor down at Waco, and also the leader of our movement, said, uh, "Hey, I want to tell you guys a story before we get going." He said, "I was just at the European prayer breakfast over in Belgium, and there was a thousand people there, and this guy got up to give his testimony." And the guy had been the former prime minister of Ethiopia. He had been a communist, atheistic rebel for years and years, and they worked and plotted and did guerrilla warfare and finally overthrew this evil dictator that had been leading Ethiopia and killing all these people and stuff. And he became the prime minister. And he was the prime minister for three years until he got overthrown and got sent to prison for 12 years in solitary confinement. 12 years. And five years into this, so this guy's and he's just he sets out on a kind of a, a knowledge quest, and he's reading different religions and different political philosophies and all of these things, and he begins to say, "God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me?" And so one night, after five years in prison, a light comes into his room, and the wall parts, and a man walks through the the, the parted hole in the wall light and says, I am Jesus, and I am the way. 
And he's blown away, obviously, right? The, the vision goes away. And then that next day, he's like, yeah, but I've been an atheist for a long time. I don't know. What's the right political philosophy? Is it communism? Is it democracy? You know, he's, he's still wrestling. Night number two, the light comes again. Jesus steps into the room again. He says, I am Jesus and I am the way. Vision goes away. The next morning, he's still wrestling. He's like, yeah, but what, what religion is right? Is it Buddhism? Is it Taoism? Is it... Is it uh, Islam? Is it Christianity? Night number three, third night in a row, blinding light, wall parts, man walks into the room and says, I am Jesus and I am the way. And then he gives up. He bows his knee and says, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he lives in that solitary confinement for the next seven years. And he's somebody gave him a Bible and he's reading the Bible. He's having fellowship with God. He'd say, you know, yes, it was suffering, but I met the Lord and I know the Lord in a way that I never would have if that hadn't happened. And so this guy's whole, so I'm telling you a story that there's a worldview piece here that's a, a scriptural kind of view of Jesus who appears to people. And his life was changed and he's changed hundreds and thousands of people's lives through this guy, you know, who's, who's experienced. And, and, you know, you guys know some of us have been to the, the engaged the crisis last year and hearing about all the stories of Muslims that are having revelation of Jesus. They're giving their lives to Him. You know, that does not fit in our box. You can't scientifically rationalize and, and do that. And yet these lives are being changed. Nations are being changed. People are coming to know the Lord in droves. It's unprecedented, you know, what we're seeing right now. And that is part of the Bible story, part of the big picture narrative of what God is doing. And the evidence is change. It's the kingdom coming. It's conflict with dark powers. But it's a changed world. And here's the main thing I'm trying to say in this message today. God wants us to live life in faithful connection to His big story. As we live, and this is what we've been talking about in this series, as we live in the tension between Jesus coming and Jesus coming again. Here, that's us. We're, we're in the in-between time. He's come. He's established His kingdom. But He's coming again. And we're looking forward to that. And so I want to spend a little time this morning. We're going to end up back in Romans. Again, we're getting these Scriptures from the Revised Common Lectionary for Advent season here. Sharing these Scriptures with Christians of different traditions around the world. Millions and millions and millions. And at the point, at the end of this message, it's going to be believing obedience. The obedience that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we're going with this. That's the point. So let's look at this story this morning. And, and I just want to tell the story a bit. And then I'll, I'll make a few points at the end. But first of all, a descendant of David. If you've got an outline there, a descendant of David. This is the first piece. that You get, you get this from Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Okay, so what's happening there, Paul is pulling us into the story of Israel. And to be pulled into the story of Israel is to be pulled into the story of God, which starts with a triune God of love in the overflow of His love creating us, creating the world that we might be able to be in relationship with Him. He created us for adoption. That's what Pre, before the world was ever created, he, he said, I want to have sons and daughters as a part of this family of love. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. So creation happens. 
And it's beautiful and wonderful. And it's like God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And there's a sense of heaven kind of touching earth, right? Just that sense of not separation. But then the fall happens. Adam and Eve, they choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is really a kind of idolatry. It's, it's saying we want to see, we see ourselves ahead of God or making the choice instead of God. Our allegiance is to ourselves and our own decisions versus God's decisions. And, and wherever you see man and women, men and women or humanity going off, idolatry's right there. Just idolatry's right there. You know, and so the clock rolls forward and you've got God reaching out, but people getting crazy. The flood happens again after that Babel, you know, let's build a tower and be like up. We'll be like God to the heavens, you know, and then God comes to a man named Abram and he promises this pagan guy named Abram, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your family and through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he has a son named Isaac. And then he, Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob's on a journey one day and he has a, a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder between heaven and earth. And again, there's that connection between heaven and earth. And he names that place Bethel. Bethel, which means house of God. And so the clock rolls forward and this people become a bigger people and they end up going to Egypt and there they're enslaved. And a deliverer rises up and his name is Moses. You know, he goes through all this stuff, but he's able to lead the people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the desert, and into the promised land, across the Jordan River. And while they're on this journey, God has them set up a tabernacle, which is really kind of like a, a, the creation in miniature. It's like a small version of the creation. And it's, it's a place where heaven touches earth. Again, a symbolic of something that's coming, you know, that God's working and God's doing. And so then you've got the times of the judges and then Samuel's the, the prophet at the time and the people say, we want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel's upset by this, but God says, Samuel, don't be upset. Don't be upset about this because they're not rejecting you as king. They're rejecting me as king. And this is at the heart of a lot of where we get off track is when we reject God as the first allegiance in our lives. Israelites do that. And so Saul becomes king. And then Saul gets off track and God takes the kingdom from him and gives it to this other young guy he's anointed named David who becomes the king. And David is awesome in so many ways. He has a heart that's after God and he leads the people to worship God. He leads the people to love God, to praise God, for, for earth to be a place where God's being praised and hires musicians and singers and all this kind of stuff to keep the praise of God flowing and going for the glory. In fact, David one point says, God, I love you so much. I want to build a house for you. And Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, you know, I hear you, but God says, you're not going to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. And after you die, you're going to have a son and I'm going to be a father to him and he's going to be my son and he's going to be put on the throne and his kingdom will go on and on forever. His kingdom will never, ever end. And that's what I'm going to do for you. And David falls on his knees and gives praise to God. And so we're kind of rolling this through this story. Do you see how important this is? We're orienting our lives to this is our story. This is our story. And so we orient life to what's going on here. The second piece of this way I'm kind of working through the story is a song of Asaph. 
a song of Asaph. So let's read this from Psalm 80. Psalm 80. Asaph wrote Psalm 50, Psalms 73 through 83. And here's Psalm, Psalm 80. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You fed them with the bread of tears. You've made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Skip down to verse 16. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man that you've raised up for yourself. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty, that we, and make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Okay, so Asaph is pretty incredible. I've enjoyed just kind of meditating on Asaph a little bit, who you see at the earliest point, he's with David when the temple, excuse me, when the ark is being brought back to Jerusalem. He's right there praising God. So Asaph was with David his whole life. Not only was he with David, but then he was with Solomon his whole life. And not only was was he with Solomon, but he was there for a little bit of Rehoboam's uh, kingship, the, the son of Solomon who then split the kingdom. So you've got this guy, Asaph, who sees all of this stuff. I mean, the mountain peak experience with King David, right? I mean, the kingdom's being established. It's awesome. And then David... He doesn't know if Solomon's not even the guy who's going to be on the throne forever, but he's, he's believing for great things to happen. In fact, Solomon builds this temple. Asaph is there seeing the glory fall, right? I mean, Solomon builds the temple. The glory comes. The priests and Levites, they don't stand up. They hit the deck. It's awesome. You know, they see all that. But then he also sees Solomon getting off track bad, you know, and just the decision to have X amount of wives, X amount of concubines. Not a good decision. He was a wise guy, but he got off track there. And his wives pulled him away. And they built all kinds of altars to other gods, gave allegiance in ways to other gods. And it was a setup for his son, Rehoboam, to just blow everything completely out of the water, which is what happened. So Asaph lives through all of that. And Asaph's psalms are like, they're not always the most happy ones because he's seen all this. This guy who was with David, like, in the beginning, you know, just it's Lennon and McCartney, but it, uh, we're still talking about their songs together. He's putting David's psalms to music, you know, so you got a David psalm here and there. It says to the tune of Lilies of the Field or whatever by Asaph. You know, you've got, you know, they're, they're working out tunes together. They're working out music together. And then way down, the, David's long gone and Asaph's over here going, God, this is a mess. God, restore us. God, come with your presence. God, we're a met. We're in, in the Assyrians, literally, by just uh, maybe 250 years later, the Assyrians come to take over Israel. Let's read that third piece there, which is a promise comes. So, 250 years later, Isaiah the prophet rises up, and Israel is about to be overrun. But before they do that, they're They're coming at Judah. They've got a few kings together and they're all freaking out. 
And Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says in verse 13, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, Isaiah 7.14, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call Him Emmanuel. Which means God with us, right? So, here's the story. You've got uh, the, the Assyrians are about to take over Israel. 150 years later, the Babylonians are going to come. So, Israel's taken off to captivity, and then Judah, 150 years later, about 597 BC, Israel's, uh, excuse me, Judah is taken off to captivity. And it looks bleak. It looks horrible. Ezekiel literally is praying one day, and he sees the temple, and what they'd already known, he saw it as a clear revelation from God. The glory's gone. The glory. He literally sees the wheels and all this stuff, and it just goes whoosh and leaves the temple. And there's this sense of, Israel just being like, ah, oh, we're still in exile. We've been abandoned. What's going to happen? When's God going to come back? And there's this longing for God to come back to the temple. And some of the last prophecies through the minor prophets are about how God is going to come back. Your Savior is going to come on a colt. You know, uh, in Malachi chapter 3, there's the promise that the Lord will come suddenly to the temple. There's going to be a prophet rise up who's going to prepare the way, kind of like Elijah. We know it's John the Baptist, but he's going to come and prepare the way. And then the Lord will come suddenly to the temple. Now, there's so many. Yancey talked about this, this in the first week of this series, but there's so many things. We're like, I didn't think it was going to look like that. I didn't think it was going to look like that. I didn't think God coming to the temple was going to look like Jesus Christ walking into the temple. You know, and boom, it happens. It happens just like this story prophesied and told and looked forward to. And so a Savior who is with us is the last piece. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The final reading. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took Mary to be home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so now we're kind of pulling in tight to the Christmas story, God came near. I love that Max Lucado had a little book years ago, and uh, I suppose it's still out there, God came near. And I remember reading about the humanity of Jesus. You know, just, and Mary changed God's diaper. That was really different. You know, just thinking through those pieces. You know, so we're just making sure we're not Gnostics. We're not just Jesus kind of floated around. Jesus was a human. You know, Jesus is a human. And so fully God and fully 
man, all of that stuff that goes with his humanity. He put, God becomes a baby and puts on humanity. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. Jesus Christ is the one in whom God and humanity and creation come together. He is the united mediating ground between us all. In His life of obedience and trust in the Father, His anointing in the Holy Spirit is the revelation of God. God doesn't look like something else, something other, something else than Jesus Christ. It's not, yeah, Jesus, and then, yeah, I've got these other ideas about God. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. His whole Jesus is the Savior who reveals God. His whole life points to the will of heaven being done on earth. And His whole life is a target for our lives. His whole life is a trajectory for our lives that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He's ultimately, He lives, He ministers, He shows us all what life looks like connected to God like that. And then He is killed on a cross by the religious leaders of the day and the government of the day. But God used all of that to express His great love to us and forgiveness of sins to us. In His dying for us on the cross, God expresses His love. God expresses His forgiveness. And He's raised on the third day by the power of God. And there's so much happening there that we just, yes, His love. Yes, His forgiveness. But yes, we get out of darkness, out of oppression, out of bondage, out of all the stuff that's just ruled our lives, out from under the authority of sin and death and the devil. This is good news. I mean, you know, and so he's raised on the third day by the power of God. Then he's exalted after 40 days to the right hand of the Father. And what happens in all of that? Because he is the great mediator, the one in whom God, humanity, and creation meet, that, that in him, you know, he takes, because he became a man, he takes our Adamic flesh, our, our, our who we are in Adam, and he takes it with him to the grave and with him in resurrection and with him to heaven. So it's like, wow, when he died, we died. When he was raised, we are raised. There's scriptures for all this. When, when he's ascended, we're ascended. We're seated with him and at his right hand in the, he, you know, in, in, in the heavenly realms. You know, and our life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when he comes again, we are going to be with him in glory. Yeah. You know, so that's, this is the story that we're living into. And so, so part of what we're doing while we're waiting is God's people, both Jew and Gentile, all together, all the nations, all together in Christ. What we do while we're waiting is that we are being shaped and molded and transformed. We are joining the mission of God. You know, we're, we're, we've got a mission. We've got stuff to do. People need to hear about this good news of life in Jesus. People need to know how good this really, really Say really, really, really is. It's good news. And, you know, it's like, wow, I want to live a creative life that points to the way things will be because that's what's coming. We're living in this tension between now and what's not yet, but we're living lives that go, I want my face, I want my attitude, I want my words, I want my, the, the way I use my hands and my feet to express what's coming, justice, righteousness, peace. I want to be a peace person because that's what's coming. I want to live in holy, a holy life because that's what's coming. I want to live a life of love because that's what's coming. You know, that's, that's going to be heaven. You know, you read the end of the story and heaven really does come to earth. 
And there's no more separation. All this part of this story that there's been longing all the way through it, it finds fulfillment at the end of the story. And we're people that live together, all these different people, different ethnicities and backgrounds and different experiences and all this stuff, but God in Jesus Christ brings us together in the power of His Spirit, experiencing His love. And when He comes again, man, it's going to be awesome. Just the fullness of all that we long for, that ache in our hearts is what we're going to get to experience. All the love and the joy and the peace and the righteousness and the justice and the pain, all those things that we just were hit and miss on because we're broken people, it's coming in fullness. It's coming in fullness. So, what does that story mean for us? I feel like a, that's the story. I mean, just, and we need to orient life to the story. Living life in connection to Jesus and the Christmas story and his story. I, I just want to say, you know, little mangers, shepherds, little figurines and stuff in the yard, all that stuff makes a whole lot more sense when you think about the story of God. The big story. This is what we're remembering as we go through this season. I think for 12 years or so now, we've been doing Advent pretty much every year. Just And I didn't grow up where we always necessarily did that. But man, just focusing on Jesus Christ becoming flesh, there's so many just mind-boggling, just wow, this is good. Wow, we need to think about this. Wow, this is important for us. And so Paul's words then in Romans chapter 1 now take on just a different kind of meaning for us, right? When he says, okay, so I'm an apostle, he says, set apart for the gospel, the good news, the good news that he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Okay, so fully God, fully man. And who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we've been brought into this ourselves, this calling of people from around the world, from the different nations, from the different ethnic groups, to the obedience that comes from faith. And here's the bottom line for us today. God's calling us to trust in Him. He's calling us to the obedience of faith. To the obedience that comes from faith being really in our lives. That's who we are. I mean, at our, just at our core, you know, I, I was reading a book this past week and the guy was talking about how different church traditions, they, they latch on to something and say, this is the thing. And so you, I was reading about one tradition where Lord's Supper, the communion, and you have to do it this way. And if you do it some other way, then you're actually not even the church or leadership and you, the bishops and this kind of thing. And you have to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, then you're not even really the church or baptism. You have to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, then you're not even a part of the church. And then what he comes to toward the end, he says, you know, it's about trusting in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Jesus Christ is the King and the Lord. And he goes on, he gives examples about people that are being martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ, life-giving, powerful, miracle-working brothers and sisters suffering for the gospel, but don't do church like this, or like this, or like this, or like this. But these guys are saying that these guys aren't really a part of the church. He goes, that, that's not true. That doesn't make sense. And I'm just, I, I'm just saying again for us, believe in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. 
He is the Lord. He is the King. And, and we can't believe that without some kind of response in our lives, without my thinking being affected. The way I treat my wife or my kids, it's going to affect who I am. It's going to affect the way I work, the kind of ethic that I have for, for giving a full day's work for a full day's pay. I mean, on and on. The way I think about life and, and uh, you know, what I watch on TV or what I go to on the internet. or I'm living because I'm, I've got all of this future breaking in through me and I want to be that person that expresses that right now. We are people that are called to connect our lives to the story of God. That's who we are. That's who we are. And it's going to shape marriages. It's going to shape moms loving kids. It's going to shape the way families do life together. It's going to shape us as a people. It's going to shape the joy that we experience. I can't just, yes, I can be depressed sometimes, but I can't be mopey for a lifetime. Not in Jesus Christ. My destiny is joy. My destiny is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all that stuff. Goodness. That's the story. And so here we go. Christmas time, it's coming. And we're remembering Jesus, and that we are part of this story for the glory of God. His people together live in life connected to this story. Y'all stand up. Amen. Worship team's coming. You know, we're just, just a bit long today. We had a few extra things, but I just want to say what happens right now in this moment of, of uh, we do this at the end of each service, just take a little bit of time to minister to one another. So, and this time, a lot of times, maybe there's something that you're hearing today. I think my bottom line of encouragement for you to receive prayer is, Lord, just ask this question, Lord, how do you want my life to be shaped by your story? Just practically. Lord, how do you, what, what's, what's the next step for me? How can I respond? Where's a place where I, you're calling me to move forward in my life being shaped by your story? And it's practical. You know, my thinking my relating, my relationships, forgiveness, praying for others, living out loud to the glory of God. So Father, would you just meet us today as we have remembered the story, as we've remembered the Christmas story. And would you shape and change us and mold us, conform us to the image of Jesus. Who is the King and who is the Lord? You are Lord. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name. I just want to give you an opportunity here to respond to God. Lord, just, Lord, where there's places where you're, you're speaking to us about how you want us connected in our thinking or our hearts, more connected to your story, more shaped by your story, then just want to give you an opportunity to respond to God today, but also just, if you're just going through a struggle, please don't leave without getting prayer. It just helps to have somebody praying with you just in the power of God. Just, Lord, help them. In Jesus' name, help them through this trial, whatever. You guys come. Amen.